Well, this is Doc Scott. It's about 7.11 today. Sorry for the late start. Um, I thought the title was kind of catchy for today's devotional. Um, let's see how many hits this one gets. <laughs> um, the title for today, this is day 18, I believe. And if it's not, it might be day 19. I'll correct that later. But I believe it's day 18 in you know, the 90 days. And um, uh, the topic for the day was, let's talk about porn. Um, I thought that was kind of catchy. And you're thinking, well, that's the kind of devotional um, that sounds a little strange. Like, why would we want to do that? Well, I don't want to talk about porn. I just want to talk about what um, initially um, I'm going to do a series of things on that topic. Um, because I do think it's one of the... Um, that we're looking at the most pornified generation that's ever existed. And thanks to the internet and smartphone, it's made that quite um, palatable for a lot of people. And it's something that the enemy is using to destroy people. And so I want to talk first. Hey, Oscar, how you doing? I haven't seen you in a while over there in Haiti. Um, it's, I want to talk about the enemy's intent because what I think the enemy is trying to do and has been trying to do through porn, it have, you have to start with the premise that, you know, as presence-oriented creatures created in the image of God, there are certain things that assault that image more than others. There are things, certain things that destroy, that seek to destroy our very essence of who we are as image bearers. You know, to somehow mar that image, kind of destroy that identity, to try to rip that identity apart. And, you know, the enemy is always going for destruction on the inside. It's so much better from his perspective to do things that destroy our capacity to love than it is to um, even do sometimes physical harm to us. But I think in the overall picture, the first part of, like I said, wanting to address what the enemy's goal with this is, if shame, remember this is 90 days that we're talking about breaking out of shame and breaking out of self-destructive cycles. And so, you know, you may be wondering, I mean, it's not a huge leap, what the link between shame and pornography is. Well, it's a pretty big one because shame has to do with separation. Shame has to do with us feeling defective, like we don't belong, like we're separate, like, um, there's something inherently wrong with us. And shame is the product of um, pretty much not only the fall of man, of course, but just the things that happen to us along the way. Um, the sins that we engage in, the, the sins that are committed against us, all our identity shaping um, events in our life that tell us who we are for good or for bad and usually for bad. And um, I think what the enemy is trying to do in a generation is destroy our capacity for intimacy. If the antithesis of shame is connection, right? Because shame is the separator. And the antithesis of that is um, to be connected intimately. Then it's, a, it's the, one of the greatest weapons he's ever um, utilized against um, humankind. Because what essentially happens with pornography is there's this bonding to an image and then essentially the ability to um, have intimate relationship is like is destroyed. 
And I did my dissertation on this one, and so I, I learned some things. I'm still learning a lot. But there was a group that I came across called um, Fight the New Drug Online that had already done a lot of research on the topic, and the group was actually started by a, a bunch of college students, boys, guys, who got together, and they recognized how porn was destroying their friends' relationships. So they didn't even start with a religious premise, per se. They just saw what it did to their, their um, how it isolated their friends and kind of destroyed their relationships with, um, with women and just connection that way. And so that's part of what it, what it does is it destroys our capacity for in, in, intimacy by isolating us and marrying us to an image that is hyper-idealized and then kind of imprinting that kind of thing on our brain. And we're going to talk a lot about the brain because our brain is actually wired for novelty, which means that the reward center of the brain is always seeking something new. And so that's what happens when you start off with someone who is looking at one genre of pornography and they end up evolving all the way down the road. Well, how did they get there? Well, they got there because their brain said that the first last thing wasn't enough. The brain does a reset and the new normal becomes the thing that they're looking at that does it for them. And then it does that all over again when the brain says, you know what? This isn't doing it either. So suddenly we've migrated all the way down to another place. And so in the big picture, I think, like I said, the enemy wants to wipe out our capacity for intimacy. If you look at the generation today, we're married to that phone. Um, we're our, even just our ability, technology has fragmented us. Let's just be honest. There's, you know, I always say, you know, with my students that this smartphone that I'm on right now you have heaven and hell in your hand. You know, social media is extremely powerful. Um, I could find out about somebody being healed on the other side of the earth right now and have my faith encouraged and receive a healing myself. Um, if you look at the uh, revival going on in Dawsonville, one of the recent testimonies, Dawsonville, Georgia, one of the recent testimonies that came out of that was somebody was watching the live stream of the revival and essentially somebody in Ireland got in, filled a bathtub, and someone over here in the United States filled a bathtub, and they got in the bathtub, and the same thing that was happening in the water in Dawsonville with fire in the water was happening to them, and they got healed. And so social media is powerful. Um, it is a powerful connector, but at the same time, it's a double-edged sword. It's also a powerful fragmenter. And so it's reduced us to, I mean, my joke is if I didn't text my kids, I wouldn't hear from them, right? Because we've reduced our communication to, um, you know, essentially electronic. Um, we're addicted to it. Um, you know, in many ways. And so there's a double-edged sword with social media. Well, the enemy has used the internet primarily and, and propagating and making pornography profoundly available and accessible. And the problem is, is that our brain wasn't made to process some of the things that, that are being processed on a screen in the same way. It's like processing stuff on steroids. And so your brain is always trying to readapt. 
And so here's what, there's a lot that could be said about the generation. And a lot of people would be quick to write the generation off as being um, disconnected, fragmented, etc. But in everything that the enemy always has as a strategy, the plan of Jesus is bigger. The plan of the cross triumphs every plan of the enemy. And what the enemy is trying to do through pornography and destroying our capacity for intimate relationship, for real tangible relationship, as opposed to an image, God is going to do something with that and going to, he inhabits weakness, okay? So if you look at just the concept that God always inhabits weakness, what does that mean? That Jesus always takes the things that are foolish, that are stupid, that look stupid, the, the, the least likely, the least of these is always the one that Jesus goes after. It's always the one that he chooses to um, display glory through. The, the broken ones that, that, that are just like cracked pots like all of us, but he displays glory through our brokenness and he goes for the one that nobody expects. I'll give you a good example. If you look at the anointing of the King David, right, Samuel goes to Jesse and basically asks for his sons to come before him. And you all know the story, but as each son comes out, Samuel looks at the outside and looks at their stature and he says, surely that's the Lord's anointed. And the Lord keeps saying, no, not that one, not that one. Finally, the Lord says to Samuel, you're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at the heart. I mean, you're looking at the exterior. I'm looking at the heart. And after seven sons pass before Samuel, he finally says, do you have another one? And he said, well, there's one out there in the field. Now, it was rumored, not necessarily true, that actually David was the bastard son of Jesse, and he wasn't necessarily the favorite among the family with his um, brothers. That wasn't necessarily true, but you know how rumors work. That can be powerful enough to dismantle people without having to make them true. And so Jesse never really considered David. So he said, yeah, I got, I got David out there. So he brings David in and the Lord says, that's the one, anoint him. And what we realize or what we learn in the story, and it actually says, I thought it was interesting, that David was ruddy and good looking, but it already like labeled all of the brothers that way. All of Jesse's sons were supposed to be, you know, these tremendous stature people. But David wasn't necessarily something uh, to shake your head at in terms of his appearance either. But the key isn't in his appearance, but was in his heart. And that Jesus picks the least likely to display glory through. That being said, if pornography is the biggest assault against a generation, an attempt by the enemy to destroy intimacy and our capacity to experience intimacy, to have real connection, which again, how does this relate to shame? Shame is a separator. It tells me that I don't belong in relationship. There's something wrong with me. It makes me feel disconnected. Um, one of the biggest things that I feel like when you're working with anybody that's dealing with any type of long-term or just extended struggle in their life is this constant battle with shame. 
And in shame, their temptation is to what? Is to back away from God, like and and people in general. Like we want to shut it down, right? Um. Yesterday, I had a conversation that was very interesting. And um, it's a conversation that's pretty typical with some of my students who have been immersed in religion for years. And this person didn't feel like that they were acceptable to God. And at the end of class, they were literally in tears and they didn't know why. And I recognized earlier that the Holy Spirit was actually on them and kind of moving on them. And so I kind of looked for some kind of interaction at the end. And in the midst of this, this young lady, she didn't understand why she was crying. I, I kind of told her why, that the Holy Spirit is just on you. You're huge on his map, and he's running after you right now with his goodness. And she went on to tell a story about separation, about feeling like there were things about her that weren't acceptable to God that she needed to clean up. And I just basically painted a picture between religion and relationship. That religion says you got to get it right, honey, before you come to God. You got to get it cleaned up. You got to get it right. And um, relationship says, why don't you just come into relationship with me, hang out with me. And if there's something that we're working out, we'll work it out along the way. But the door to relationship is always open. And that's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus is. That's what he always does with us. There is the idea that we are separate from God in our shame. And what the enemy does with that is an illusion. It's an absolute um, illusion. It's not true. It's, um, it's something that the enemy uses and highlights in our shame so that we will continue to remain separate. So tying back into our topic, if the enemy has propagated and utilized pornography as the grand shame inducer and separator and the breaker of intimacy in a generation, then what God is going to do in redeeming it it's going to make this the greatest generation of lovers the world has ever known. Because that what is what it means to inhabit weakness. Inhabiting weakness is taking that which is not, that which is foolish, that which doesn't make any sense at all, right? When Jesus inhabits weakness, he takes the one that thinks, I can never do that, that'll never be me. That could never happen to me. God would never want to use me. I'm too much damaged goods. I'm this, I'm that, right? When Jesus inhabits weakness, he takes that which is not and says, that's what I want right there. That's the one I'm going to use. So if the enemy has used pornography to separate and distort the image of God in a generation and to destroy our foundation for intimacy, then Jesus is going to inhabit that and turn this into the greatest generation of lovers the world has ever known. They will know the love of the Father like no other generation before them. They will be intimately acquainted with love because that's what Jesus does. Thought it spit on my phone. Um, Jesus takes brokenness and makes 
beauty out of ashes and he comes into brokenness and he illuminates and shines through it because the only thing we're going to see in these manifest sons of God is the kingdom of heaven and the radiance of Jesus just pouring through them. And so if you've written off a generation like we tend to do, we like to look at this generation and say, oh my God, they're the worst one. And in education, we do that a lot. I mean, I try not to go there. I don't want to go there because I always see the gold. The gold that's in these guys is love. They have been the product of a very fractured culture where the family, the disintegration of the family unit as we know it has been totally, completely fragmented in this generation. That's not a judgment. That's just saying that's where it is. Everything that could be leveled against them in an attempt to destroy who they are and their capacity to know love and receive love, the enemy has launched. And so I'm excited when I think about what this is going to look like as God comes into their brokenness and makes them the greatest lovers that this world has ever known. And that these manifest sons of God and daughters of God are going to reach generations of people and go into the darkest places that have ever, that they're going to penetrate darkness like no other generation has. And God is already raising them up to do that. One of the guys that I prayed for at the Dawsonville Revival just really got me um, as I was praying for him. And it was weird because I told this story yesterday in class, but I had this kid, these two people come up and sit down next to my wife and I behind us. And it was kind of awkward, actually, because they just kind of plopped down. And I was, you know, when God's drawing people, it's awkward. I mean, it is sometimes. It's like it looks kind of interesting. Like they don't always know why they're being drawn or why they're coming to you. But, but Jesus does, so our job is to figure out why they're there. So I turned around and I, and I just said something awkward like, can I help you guys? Is there something you all want or need? Two minutes into this, my wife is prophesying over this 20-year-old who's just in a ministry that he's been involved with, um, a ministry that takes people that come out of prison and begins to just, you know, give them the gospel, you know, begins to, it's, it's actually pretty fantastic. So it's this life-transforming ministry. And she's prophesying to him, and then I look at him, and I can see, I say to this young man, um, I can tell, I know that you have actually seen someone die, and you've been homicidal and the desire to kill yourself, that it's in you. And because you have seen that kind of violence, the Lord has done something in your heart that has made you want to penetrate violence. And I went on to prophesy to this kid about how he was going to penetrate gangs and he was going to go into some of the deepest places where people have only known violence and that he would be one that rescued them out and showed them what love looked like. And he just, you know, basically was weeping because it was true. And it was a really powerful time of praying for him, but he is one example of what it looks like when God takes the most broken, the most, the least likely of a generation and says, that's the one I'm going to use. They are looking for love. And pornography 
has been the false, broken image that they have bonded with and their attempt to fill a gap in their heart. And so my, my um, overarching kind of presupposition about the generation is, look out, because here comes the lovers. Here comes the ones whose shame will be broken over them and they will shamelessly love the very unlovable and they will penetrate the darkest places in the planet and they will be used to turn a generation to God. And it's going to be awesome. So let's just pray that. Father, we just make this declaration over this generation that um, and every place that they've been written off, Father, we just break the power of the pronouncements that have been made over them. Every judgment and pronouncement that's been made over a generation as being lost, as being pornified, as being broken, as being sexually fluid, all of those things, we break those pronouncements over them and we release your mercy and your love and the transforming power of Jesus. Father, we release encounter over them. Lord, that, and we just declare that this generation will have more encounters with you than any other generation. They will be an encounter driven, that the gospel for this generation will be a tangible experience with Jesus, that they will move beyond the thing in their head, which has not helped, and, and it will move to their heart and they will encounter heaven and they will literally be walking manifestations of heaven on earth. And we just declare that over them, that this generation of manifest sons and gods will bring and usher in the most unusual miracles, signs, wonders, and demonstrations of power and love that any generation has ever known. And we just declare that over them. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to pluck them out even now and that you would begin to rescue and pull them out from the deep places, the places where they're ensnared and trapped, and that you would liberate them and you would nurture them and that you would turn them loose in Jesus' name to go after a generation that the world and the earth has been groaning for the manifestations of the sons of God on the earth. And so we just declare that over them. And we just, with excitement in our heart, we say, let it come, Holy Spirit, let it come. We can't wait to be a part. And we thank you that we get to have the honor and privilege of being a part even now in their process and helping launch that generation. In Jesus' name, amen. See you tomorrow at 7.